podcast that you're listening to is being presented to you with the cooperation of the SJ Network. If you're a person who needs a publicist and you want to appear on podcasts, contact Stephen Joyner at s-j-network.com. Let's get on with the show. Dudley, why is that sports car in pieces in the Sherpa Chalet parking lot? It's my new Aston Martin. I've decided I'm going to be a spy, like James Bond, and drive a car like him. But why is it all in pieces? Because Bond likes his cars like his martinis. Shaken, not stirred. Um, I think you need to hear today's interview with podcaster Pete Turner of the Break It Down show. You'll learn about the life of an actual spy. Excellent idea. Now if you'll excuse me for a minute, I have to take a phone call on this banana. Spice stuff, you know. Actually, that's part of my lunch. And I don't think it has you in their contacts. Attention, rebels of the Sherpolution. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We would like to give you a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial simply by heading to www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles of audiobooks and podcasts, including this one, to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now, the one and only Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, the elevator does not make it to the top floor. And the same can be said for the Sherpa. Welcome to Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about podcasts. Now, podcasting from the Sherpa Chalet on Mount Podcastia, he's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Hello there, Rebels of the Sherpa Lucian. This is Jim, the podcast Sherpa, welcoming you to another edition of Too Many Podcasts. It is the podcast about podcasts. And we've got a really interesting show this week. We've got a really cool guest, and we've got some Sherpa samples as well. You know, I was listening to some of my earlier episodes, and I was wondering, you know, I do say the word fascinating and interesting a lot, <laughs> and I wonder if people are making a drinking game out of it. Oh, he said interesting again. Drink up. Well, maybe they do, but just please be careful if that's the case. But, you know, you don't want boring guests, right? <laughs> I didn't think so. If you are looking for a boring guest this week, you, my friend, have come to the wrong podcast. Because, yes, my guest this week is very interesting. Who's our guest today, Sherpa? And his name is Pete Turner, and he hosts a podcast called The Break It Down Show. And Pete is a former military spy and also a published expert on combat. So he knows a lot about that fighting stuff. He lives a pretty interesting life when it comes to his military career. And he likes all sorts of other exciting things too. And his show is really fascinating. Nope, oh, it's fascinating. Nope, oh, somebody's drinking. <laughs> Pete, see what you're doing here? And on the Break It Down show, he talks to all sorts of people, a lot of amazing celebrities and creators, and writers, authors, people who give... Very interesting interviews, and his show is really great. Oh, I said interesting again. There it is. Oh, that's three. <laughs> Somebody just hit the floor right now. Okay, I better stop counting. <laughs> and why don't we head on over to the conference room in the Sherpa Chalet and listen to my conversation with Mr. Pete Turner of 
the Break It Down Show. Hello there, Rebels of the Sharp Illusion. We are here in the Breaking It Down Room because we are here with the host of the Break It Down Show. His name is Pete Turner, coming to us from lovely sunny California. And he's done over 1,300 episodes. The man is busy. <laughs> this is why he doesn't listen to a lot of other podcasts. He's got his own thing going on. He is building his own empire, and he is here. And we're going to get to know him. And Pete, welcome to the show. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on, Jim. It's, it's always an honor to be on someone else's air because I know what it takes to build a show and I know what it takes to make the editorial decisions on who you're going to have on and to make the cut. Man, I'm honored. I really appreciate you. I feel like just calling you a podcaster is selling you short. Oh, thanks. How, how do you describe what do you do? You know, I, I, professionally, I'm an, I'm an executive producer and then I used to be a spy. That's already a lot, you know? And then you add in the other things that I've done. I've lived a pretty remarkable life. You know, I used to be a Captain Morgan mom. And, <laughs> you know, one of my hobbies is race car driving, which sounds way more exotic than it is. But I pick a lot of fun things to do and I get to do those things. But I also work really, really hard. You'll notice, Rebels, that he just said very casually, oh, yeah, I, I used to be a spy. <laughs> you were a spy for the Army. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, now, obviously, that's that's they consider that counterintelligence. How, how do you get into that when you're in the army? Do you just kind of hold up your hand and say, you know, what, I'd like to be a spy? Do, do they recruit you? Do they notice certain qualities that they feel that this will? No, it's not that exact of a science. You know, look, I, I took the test before you get in the army, like to figure out what you might qualify for. Okay. And you know, I, I look, I'm a pretty bright guy, and so I, I did well on the test. And they're like, any any job you want. And my recruiter was great. I'm like one of the few people. I'm like my recruiter was fine. Fine. Like I was the last guy he put in the army during his recruiting tour, and he said, "I've never put anybody in this job. It's got a high number on it, so it must be a good job. I think you should do this." And I'm like, "Well, what do you think I ought to do?" He's like, "I don't know." And that means it's good, you know. And this this guy was an MP, so he'd been in the army. He knew all these jobs. He's like I don't know what these guys do. And so. Anytime I'm confused like that and it sounds super secret, it probably is cool. And it turned out my job, my job was really cool. It really was. <laughs> and and this was like in-person spying. This wasn't like reconnaissance missions where you're flying with a plane and taking pictures or anything like that. You were hands down in in the locations. That is exactly right. Yeah. My job was to leave the camp and go out and interact with the locals and figure out what was going on in town and, and then try to help us win. And that's what I did. And I did it for a long time. I've got over a thousand combat missions under my belt. Where, where are some of the places that you've been? Well, I first went to Bosnia. I've been to a bunch of countries, but primarily Iraq and Afghanistan. Those three places is where I've, I've done most of my work. And it's, uh, it's you know, all over Iraq. I was moved around quite a bit over time. Um, and then there's a couple of spots in Afghanistan where I worked. But I, I was able to... Because I wasn't in the army the whole time, I was with the army or for the army, that I was able to stay at the ground level and really develop a capacity to uh, be a fantastic collector, you know, better than my peers, quite frankly, right? There are certain, certain things in the counterintelligence world that I really know nothing about. It's a very multifaceted job. In terms of tactical field collection, there's nobody, nobody in the entire DOD that's better at it than I am. I'm not saying I'm, not, I'm the best. I'm just saying there's nobody better at it. You don't do this anymore. So you're, you're considered safe. I mean, nobody's coming after you or anything. Like yeah, that. no one's coming after me. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a good I, thing. Yeah, and good luck. I mean, like, you, you want to come after me in Orange County? I mean, well, I mean it's, then, then you got me. But, but yeah, no, no one's coming after me. No one cares. The kind of work that I did was so tactical. You know, the, the, the secrets die 
the, the moment you leave, the moment that unit leave, you know, it's just all very short term classification thing. This, this isn't like a, you know, a big state secret, what I was doing. I would just go out and say it. I'm here to ask questions. I'm here to find things out. I'm here to help people. And uh, we'll just be very candid and open about it because I don't control what they think about me. All I can do is be honest, be trustworthy, and and try to try to be someone who's an asset to them. And if I approach things from that way, and I'm, you know, look, the Taliban called a meeting and invited me to it. I didn't know this. And I went to the meeting and the Taliban said, hey, this guy's all right. He can stay and operate here. So... That's how transparent I can be. They knew what I was doing. I'd been targeted in, in, in our Intel reports that said, hey, the Taliban is looking for you, Pete. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. That's, that's part of the job, right? And, um, and then they had a meeting. And then they said, that guy's all right. So that sort of gives you an idea of how I approached the job was to be this trustworthy, approachable guy. You actually kind of intentionally or unintentionally actually answered my next question because I'm wondering about the transition from a military spy to a podcaster. But that's really what it comes down to, that you're getting information from people and, and you have to build that sort of sense of trust between the two of you. That's exactly right. And, I, you know, it's, it's the same thing. And you know this because you've done this a lot, but it's the same thing with booking guests. How do you book guests? Well, how do I, how do I find warlords? You know, you, warlords don't stand on the side of the street going, I'm a warlord. Talk to you, right? <laughs> They're not on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to ask. You have to get to know people. You have to get to the second and third relationship from that person and, and access networks. And so that's, you know, this is a lot of what I do in the show. I explain these things in, in other real life ways to do it. You know, so oftentimes, yes, I'm the host of my show, although sometimes I'm the guest. But, but my job is to say, you know, here's how this would apply in combat or here's how I would do this when I was being a spy because it gives you the context to kind of see what the other person is doing in a way that other shows just aren't able to do. Was there anything from doing all this that kind of gave you an extra tool in life that you never thought that you had? Yeah, there's tons of tools from it. I mean, this is a, an interpersonal job. And so the better you get at it. So look, some of the things that I got was um, I'm, I'm excellent at. And I'm just kind of I'm bragging on myself here, but I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm very, very good at, at cross-cultural things, right? So I can go into environments where I am not the norm and I can operate fairly comfortable because I understand, I call it miscomfort, right? It's, it's just a comfort I don't know yet. But if I'm there long enough, I can adapt to it. They'll adapt to me and we'll all be comfortable with my presence. I mean, that's the essence of what I do as a spot. Uh-huh. And so... That life skill of being able to go into different, and culture doesn't mean, you know, Afghanistan versus the United States. It means, you know, just this neighborhood, that neighborhood, this group of people, this ethnicity, that religion, all of these things are cross-cultural. And so I, um, even growing up, my, my dad was a, uh, a guy who was into divinity and had a degree in that. And so we would go to all kinds of different churches. I mean, there's a cross-cultural learning experience that you can't get as a kid normally, right? To go to a, not just a Baptist church, but many kinds of Baptist church, a black Southern Baptist church, a black Baptist church, a white Southern Baptist church, Catholic church, Portuguese Catholic, you know, all these different things. It teaches me, someone like me, like, okay, you know, normal is normal and normal is what it is where you're at. And the two normals don't have to overlap. But if you can start to see where there's, there's connections and everything, you can do a lot of things with culture that most folks can't do because it's, I'm willing to see it. I'm willing to accept it. It's not that I condone all things about a culture because some things are, are bad and evil. 
But, uh, but I'm able to look at it and say, I understand how you're here and why you're here. And if I don't understand it, hey, how did you guys get to this spot culturally? Like, why do you guys do this? We don't do anything like that. And then you can start to understand. So I'm always trying to seeking to understand somebody from their point of view and then sharing my point of view back so they can understand me. When we see movies about spies and like TV shows and stuff, is that all Hollywood? I mean, is, is there yeah. stuff that, that you've done or that's stuff that you've probably like, no, this right. is just fiction? Because of course there's elements in it, but you know, like someone like Jason Bourne. So I was uh, in the in counterintelligence world. I was a pretty athletic guy, pretty physically fit, right? So um, if you were going to liken me to Jason Bourne, yes, I could run very fast. And I could, I mean, could I run flat out for 15 minutes? Ah. Yeah, maybe, but I wouldn't probably go as far as Jason Bourne, right? But but I was able to shoot straight. Um, I'm physically imposing if I choose to be, you know, so all of those things are there. But really my job, if I have to pull my pistol off, if I have to get into a, a fight with a big pen, I've not done my job, right? My job is not to get into fights and kill people and evade the police. My job is to have the chief of police hugging me saying, hey, I love Pete, come back anytime you want, mm-hmm. right? So I don't want to leave a trail of chaos. Uh, James Bond, Jason Bourne, I mean, they're fun characters. I like them, but they really represent a whole team of people, you know? So, so yes, it is sort of like the real job. No, it is nothing like it. I don't get to drive a Ferrari. Matter of fact, I usually don't even have a car. I don't own a car, you know? I have to get a ride from somebody else or whatever it is. I don't have a budget. And it's just up to me, my wits, my capabilities to go out and get these things done. You said you've done about 1,300 episodes? Yeah, 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 I have. How, how long have you been podcasting for? It'll be 10 years in May. Wow. So yeah. when you first got into it, what, what was your objective? Did you just say, well, okay, I'm coming from this background and let's apply this to life and, and to culture? Because I know you talk to a lot of musicians and creators and writers and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I... So my, a friend of mine, John, who co-founded the show with me, he had a, a community radio show. And this is really where we started 10 years ago was on community radio. But he was wanting an outlet creatively. I had come just come back from Afghanistan. And I'm like, I want to tell stories. I have a, a degree in TV radio, right? So I'm like, how do I get on the radio? And then there's John, my friend. And we were new friends at this point. But he comes from a town I'm from. His wife, I grew up with her. So, you know, there's a lot of connection there. And he's like, well, why don't you come on the show? And so we found out that we vibed and we quickly re- were told, well, we were told, hey, we, you can't stay here at the station. Too big for this place. Go invent something bigger. And this is at the really the dawn, uh, maybe the late dawn, but the dawn of the uh, podcast era. And so I, I guess we're going to have to do a podcast. And so we were, we were working on this podcast concept. And, and listening to shows and trying to decide what we wanted to do and what we thought we were going to be and what we ended up were different things. And that's how it just goes. But yeah, we started it a long time ago and, and it has been a nonstop, crazy, crazy ride. And I, I look back and I'm like, how in the world did we do all this? There were so many times, Jim, you'll appreciate this. Like I'll look around and be like, hey, John, I just booked so-and-so for the show. And then we're like, well, we just heard his song on the radio, you know? Like, yeah, well, now I have his phone in my phone book and we can call him anytime we want. And, and so it just became this surreal thing where I was no longer shocked when someone said yes. You're always surprised and pleasantly so. But you're like, yeah, of course, Andy Summers from the police wants to come on our show because 
Why wouldn't he? It's a great show for him to come on, you know? Sure. Legitimately would put our interview with Andy against anybody who's done one in the last 25 years because our interview with him is fantastic. (laughs) That's the other thing is because I was a spy between John and I, we could put a really, really good show together that is uncommon and, and would compete with anything. And we hear this all the time from people who've been interviewed a thousand times. So like, this is one of the best interviews I've ever had. You guys did such a great job. I had such a great time. You didn't ask me any of the stupid normal questions. And, and that's always a hallmark of, of something great. And so when folks ask me like, you know, what's the thing I want in terms of the show? I want to do that for people. Cause if it's that for the guest, it's going to be that plus 10 for the, uh, for the audience. I think that anybody that checks out your show, they're going to be pretty impressed by some of the guests that you've had on here. And I wanted to get some of your thoughts on, on some of the guests that you've had, Is that, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, I think I had messaged you uh, about Stuart Copeland, the, the drummer of the police. Yeah, Stuart was great. Uh, we, um. It's interesting because I had actually tried to get him on the show. I, uh, contact him through the website and his representatives, you know, do the talking for him. Yeah. And the first person that responded said, Oh yes, it sounds like a really good thing. I'm going to talk to him about it. And the next day I got a message from another representative who said, let's revisit this in a year. <laughs> so I was like, well, let's not get our hopes up too high now. This is the thing though. Like we have to be willing to withstand that, right? Like to get greatness to show up. Sometimes greatness needs a reason to talk. And, and Stuart's been asking me any question. He doesn't, Stuart doesn't know me. You know, I, I can remind him of who I was, but beyond that, like he's got to do me a favor, right? And so if he doesn't have time to do me the favor right now, but he's got a new thing coming out in the summer, I got to wait and, and stick with it and follow up with his assistant. And then there's other things that I'm able to do because of my work as a spy, like with him. I, I know he's got a background in the Mideast. And so I can throw him some very basic conversational Arabic. It'll sound to anybody else like we're having this long, drawn-out conversation. But really, what we're saying is, hey, man, what up? And he's like, oh, man, you know how it is. I'm just doing my stuff. And then I go, yeah, man, me too. And then that'll sound incredible. <laughs> to him, he's like, we're speaking Arabic right now. This guy's cool. And so... We, you know, we all have these tricks. I have them because of my work as a spy, but these are the things that I try to do to separate my show, my style, and what we do here with, with somebody else. And not that it's competition, but just I don't want, so I don't want someone to come to my show and hear the same interviews everywhere else. You know, sometimes that just happens because the person's just stuck on their message, but I always do my best to not let that happen. That's funny that you mentioned that. I, I had a guest once doing a podcast. And years ago, he'd been a professional wrestler. And I guess I had looked that up and I mentioned it, like I, his ring name. And he just started laughing. He's like, man, you're making me feel like I'm 20 years old again. But yeah. that's it, though. That there's, sometimes there's that little key that opens the door and you've got a unique kind of interview right, right away for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I always say is, is I'm not listening to the person. I hear everything they say. I'm listening for things. And when he says you make me feel like I'm 20 again. And I'll, then I'll say something like, what kind of pants did that guy wear? And he'll say, oh man, you know what? And then he's gone. He's in that space. He's in that time. And we can stay there, right? Because that's what people want is they want to hear that, that thing. And then when they say these words, and I know Jim, you hear this on your show because your show is good. When they say, I've never told anybody this story, you're like, well, there we go. 
I'm, and then you know what I do? I just sit back and I shut up. Yeah. And my next question is silence. I don't say a damn word. I'll let them ask their own question and let them expand. Because when you shut up, boy, you get a lot of information. <laughs> I know you actually mentioned that uh, there were some questions on your website. And that's one of the things that you say about when you have a guest, sometimes once they're opening up, then you got to shut up. You can't just step on top of them when they're talking. Just let them go. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and these are the things that I try to, you know, one of the things I do professionally is I help other people create their shows, upgrade their shows, you know, figure out how to, you know, just produce a better podcast, produce something, you know, and you know, it's not easy to put a show out every week. It's hard. Especially if you get stuff going on. And one of the main things I teach people is how to host a show. Not, not like mechanically or, or, or having a hosting software. I mean, like sitting in front of a microphone, how do you fly this airplane? And I, because, and I'm telling you, but I'm really telling the audience, it is not as simple as it seems. Yes, you've had a million conversations, but were they designed? Were they structured? Did you know why you were asking questions? Did you ask the right question? You know, did you know when to shut up? Mm-hmm. Did you did you remember to plug the guests' stuff? Or, you know, did you clarify something for the audience? All these things are things that you have to keep track of when you're a host to make the guest, to give the guest what he deserves, to give the audience what they deserve, and to serve your own show. A while back, I had an actor on who's written several books, and he's interviewed a ton of celebrities. And he said, I go into every interview with 20 questions in my head that I want to ask them that no one has ever asked them before. So it's kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to, I don't put 20 questions in my head because they're already there. I know that they're there because I've done enough interviews, right? Mm-hmm. That, like I'm not prepared, but I've done all the preparation I need to do. Now, sometimes there's a certain topic or a guest I might have to, you know, get familiar or comfortable with what it is. But because of the kind of interviews I've done as a spy, you learn a certain cadence and a certain pattern and certain keys that unlock doors, right? And it doesn't matter what the topic is, that question can be refined in 27 different ways. And so I don't write down 20 questions, but I I am listening. Here's what I think I am listening for is, are they on their their, their scripted answer for things? And if they are, I'll stop and say, you know what? I've heard you say that on 15 shows. I don't want to hear about that. Here's what I want to hear about. And then now they know that they're on notice, like we're going to go in a different direction, you know? And, and that's to me more important than having scripted 20 questions because it's easy to write a bad question and, and never realize. I, I know I, I've had situations like that too, where you talk to somebody and you can tell it's just a scripted answer because you, you've heard them say it word for word on other podcasts and they probably don't realize that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's my pat answer. And, you know, and I'm not really going to deviate from that. And you want to kind of, kind of, I don't know, maybe knock them off balance a little bit to really make them think and kind of pull something out of them that, that people don't hear on, on other podcasts. Another thing, when you write your own questions, and I'm not saying don't prep and I'm not saying don't write your own questions. I'm just saying that there, there's, you have to understand what that does. It creates a structure, right? And if you write interrogative questions, who, what, where, and why, how, those kind of questions, they're closed. There's closed questions. You've made an assumption at some point. So you have to open those questions up. And so to open that question up, you say something like, tell me more. Tell me your opinion about this. Mm-hmm. You know, And then that gives the guest an opportunity to, to say something different than they might say otherwise. If you said, like, you know, how did you get started? If you said, tell me about the beginning, that's a better question. It's a better framework. Oh, the beginning. Well, before we even started, right now they're before the beginning. So those 
taking that interrogative out, I, I find it to be a really powerful way to get very, very rich. And then I control the timeline. We're not going linear. We might go backwards. We might go backwards and then left. You know, I don't want them on that same path. I want to get them off the path and to a new area where we can really explore new things. Well, some of the other guests, you interviewed Sly Stone. Now, that must have been one heck of a powerful interview because of the, the career that he's had. Yeah. Thanks for recognizing that. I mean, that means a lot to me. And it's really, we've had a lot of incredible people, 1,300 episodes. It's a lot. I've made some incredible friends. But, but the piece of work that I think John and I are most proud of is the work with Sly Stone because they're, look, we didn't want to turn him into the same drug addled, homeless, you know, guy. That, mm-hmm. that's, that doesn't serve who he is. Yes, he has his problems. We all do. Uh, and he's, he's dealing with those and he's not that guy that he was almost 10 years ago when we first talked to him. But I'm proud of it because we were able to take what he has left in his brain because his brain in a lot of ways is scrambled. He's an old man and he's done a lot of drugs. So he gave us about maybe 22 useful minutes. But in between those times and when we hung out with him, and there's all kinds of stories about when we hung out with him, he had all these nuggets of brilliance that we've shared throughout the show. He's probably the most quoted guest we've had. It's just incredible to have him drop his lifetime's worth of knowledge from an industry that's so horrible, and yet the essence of who he is. Yeah, it's a it's an incredible interview. And if you know anything about Sly Stone, which you do, if you know anything about Sly Stone, you know that he's the icon that the icons copied from the icons who copied the icons and the icons. You know, like he is he is the spark in so many ways for all modern music. It's it's incredible. Absolutely. And finally, uh, we got to mention your buddy, Jay Moore. Oh, I love Jay. Jay's a very good friend of mine now because of the show. <laughs> and so when I say, oh yeah, Jay's my friend, it's because we, look, we modeled part of our show after what he did. He's our, he's our big brother. He's our show daddy. And um, uh, I love Jay. He's my, he's my very good friend. And we talk not nearly enough, but we talk all the time. And it's just great to see someone, uh, you know, and he's in recovery now. Been, been so for a year. Right. Just recently, uh, two days ago, put up a one year coin. And I, I love that about who he is. And so more than him being a great guest and a great actor and a great comedian, more than him being my friend, I like seeing my friend be well. You know, I remember Jay as a stand up back in, I guess, probably the 80s. And he was I think he was probably one of the best stand ups out there. And I got to ask you, in, in the time that you've talked to him, he's got to do his Christopher Walken for you, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, we. <laughs> I, this, I, I hate to be like, you know, super name dropping, but yeah, he's my friend, right? And so we talk all the time. And so we will play characters with each other or he'll throw Chris Walken and I'll do my imitation or whatever. And so we get to giggle and play with these things. And, and it really is a special, and it's not for anybody else. It's just for us. But, you know, we'll just do these silly things, especially if someone else is with us, we go out to eat or whatever. He and I will find some funny way just to be goofy. And uh, we get each other like that. And, and I, again, I just, I love my friend and I, I love, I love to be able to hang out with him and, and all those things. So for Christopher Walken, for sure. And all the different, you know, his Al Pacino. And then I'll, I'll play something off of his Al Pacino and, and we'll just crack up, man. It's a lot of fun. 
you, you know, it's a, it's a trademark of the show. If I can get any guests to do impressions, you know, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple of them that I do. Look, I'm not a, a professional. That's you know, okay. Guy. I even have a really bad droopy dog like he does. So he's got, you know, like a uh, alternative lifestyle droopy dog and I've got like droopy dog or whatever, but um, <laughs> I, I do, I do a bit of a Scooby-Doo and there's actually a dance with it that I do because it's like an actual quote from the show. I don't, I don't know, think that'll work here on your show, but, right. uh, <laughs> you know, okay, here's, here's one, here's one thing I used to do all the time. And when I was in the army on the radio, I think it's hilarious to talk like Roger Rabbit when you're on the radio talking about war stuff. So you're like, here we come, everybody. Oh, boy. you know, then you just kind of do that. And everybody laughs and you know, that kind of thing. So <clears throat> it's a, you know, there you go. Roger Rabbit. And I, I'm not saying it's a good Roger Rabbit, but it is my Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Liked it. <laughs> because you're involved with people who want to get, you know, podcasts off the ground, what's the best advice that you give them? Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the thing I've talked more clients out of working with me than I've talked into working with me. Right. Because as you know, this is not easy. This is an actual business. You are starting a business that is likely to not pay you any money. That's the God's honest truth. Right. right? Yeah. So, if you're going to do this, understand why you're doing it. And if it's a hobby, you shouldn't hire me because unless you've got a lot of money, you're like, Pete, I don't care about money. Uh-huh. Then I wouldn't want you to pay me to have you have a hobby. I'll help you out for free. Like here are the things you need to buy and you need to go out and create this thing. But, but if you have a show, if you're a business or someone with a budget, I can help you like realize why you're doing it. Is this thing a marketing tool? Is it a PR tool? Is this a, uh, you know, an IP um, tool to amplify your IP? Great. The sales tool. Is it a direct sales to all these questions? You know, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to create entertainment to, to become a production company and to pitch shows that are a staff? Okay, great. I can help you with all of these things, right? But we have to know, I don't care what your idea is. Honestly, ideas are damn near meaningless. Everybody has ideas. It's what can you get out of every day and work for and know that people are going to say it doesn't matter. You're going to be irrelevant. For years, my friends have been like, oh, you're doing that podcast thing still? Right? And I'm like, this is my profession, right? <laughs> you got to take that. You got to take your friends not helping you financially and just being like, yeah, they don't get it. And then realizing that your fans are somewhere else. They're my buddy, Charlie in Toronto. One of my very favorite people is Julie and she's in England and her mom just passed away. And I just adore her. I never would have met her without my show, right? But she's listened to my show so, so, so many times. So you've got to be willing to find the Julies of the world and, and the Charlies of the world. And that is not an easy job. So when I talk to folks, I want them to do well. I want them to create something. But I also want them to prove to themselves that this is worth their time and money. Yeah. And I mean, I've heard podcasts sometimes with people... And my gut reaction is, you, you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> you should really take up another hobby. <laughs> yeah, or get better. Get better. You yeah. hire a coach. You know, I mean, again, one of the things I do, like, hey, I can help you. Well, I can't stop saying, um, and I'm like, well, then we can work right there. Like today, we can get you better at that, you know, by simply slowing down. You're talking too much. Slow your brain down. Mm-hmm. Allow the other person to have some time. Be able to hear what you're saying as a producer. So you can say, I feel like I'm going to say, um, and then you stop yourself because you've also listened to yourself 35 times. Every time you do a show, you need to listen to yourself, right? So these are the things where we can all, we can all work on that by practice. It's just like anything else. If you're going to play baseball, 
You don't just show up on game day and leave. You have to do a lot of work, right? Podcasting is no different. Now, I'm going to go out on a pretty easy limb here. I'm going to think that probably in your life, you you like a lot of action and new experiences and stuff like that. You, you mentioned race car driving just earlier. And you, you want to tell me a little bit about that? And I'm sure there's probably a couple other things that are up your sleeve as well. Yeah, well, look, you know, when you think about life and big scale of things, most people have been dead longer than they were alive, right? Mm-hmm. And so we get a very finite amount of time. I'm 52 years old. I'm not that old, but because of combat, my body's broken. I probably will never get a black belt. This is not something I can will myself through. My body is just too beat up from it. And even if I did, would it be a good idea to use up what I've got left of my joints to get a black belt, right? So, you know, I've always believed in trying to go travel, go experience. Yeah, I, you know, I don't have hardly any assets at all, but I'm wealthy in experience. And my show, more than anything else, gives me value in life. I meet these incredible people. Jim, I mean, it's inc- it, I'm going to go be at a guy's house. The last, the, the last, um, he was the last personal assistant for Groucho Marx. Steve Stolier? Yeah, Stephen, right? What an incredible story, right? Yeah, he's probably been on your show because we know Stephen. So, I mean, that, that's an incredible thing. Uh, one of uh, Bob Hope's um, first, he was, she was a female joke writer for him for years and years and years. And, and so I've had her on the show and she and, and Bob Hope's daughter have written these books about him. I get to talk to someone who knew intimately Bob Hope, right? And, and he doesn't get any better than that. And a lot of these people are old enough that they pass on and any number of times already, we've either just missed or had the last interview with somebody. Mick Gillette, a guy from Tower of Power, we have the last interviews with him and we didn't get enough. And so the other thing I've realized, and my, and my brother, 46 years old, passed away this past October, right? You don't get enough time with people. Life is fleetingly short. So I'm not saying shirk your responsibilities, but you can definitely gear yourself. People talk about work-life balance and what they mean is I want to work less. Work-life balance. You can live too much and be like, oh, I got to work a little bit more, right? You know, like try to try to find that balance and really live because, again, combat, life is short, real life, cancer, walking across the street. I'm fascinated by, by trees falling and wackoing cars and people. I'm like, it happens all the time, right? Mm-hmm. You never think about it, but it's true. You know, like falling rock. One day, someone drives by and a giant rock smashes the hell out of the car. Maybe they survive that. Maybe they don't. Well, I don't want to look back and be like, oh man, I should have taken that next challenge. I should have done that next thing. I'm not reckless anymore. I used to be, but, but I do, I do seek out enrichment in life. And I try to bring my friends along with me so that I can do it with people that I love. Let me ask you a question. Okay, go ahead. When, when, when you have someone like Steve Stoyer on your show and you realize what it means that he is a living connection to Groucho Mark, who's been dead for a long time, right? He's been dead so long, he's no longer culturally relevant. What does that mean to you to be able to capture part of this dead history? I mean, this person's gone. You know, there's only so many more shows going to be done about Groucho. Yeah, you know, it's it's very funny that you mentioned that because I told a couple of people that I interviewed this guy who lived in Groucho's house and he was his personal assistant. And they looked at me like, well, well who's Groucho Marx? Right. <laughs> and I actually yeah. said to Steve when, during our interview, I said, how do I explain to people who Groucho Marx is? He said, just tell him flat out. He was a very funny actor in some yeah. great comedies, you know, to, to check them out. And I remember what my question was that I want to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your dream guest? You probably have a short list. 
Yeah. And, and you know, it's super simple. Um, and I don't particularly chase them. I'm not, not chasing them, but I don't like chase them like a fan. I chase them like a professional, but, um, I would love to have anybody from YouTube, a Bono, especially on my show. I think that that for me would be just, it would just tickle me to death to, to know that this guy who's kind of like my, my big brother in a lot of ways who got me through some rough times is sitting across from me and, and talking about life. I, I think that would be really cool, but there's any number of guests like that. I'd love to have Dolly Parton on the show. And I, you know, I, I get people that are comparable in terms of their success and everything. So doesn't matter if it's Dolly Parton or not, but I'd love to have Dolly. And I believe Dolly would, if, if I, if I put a good approach together and she was in a mode for media talking, I, I believe I could get Dolly on my show. Sure. Yeah. She's probably a good guest. And she, she's definitely a lively person. Do you probably get a million great stories out of her? Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm going to say, tell me a story you haven't told anybody else. I know you got a million. Of them. <laughs> you know who's coming up on my show? And this is really exciting to me. And, uh, I'm confident enough that this will happen that it should be out by the time this show comes out. But later this month, I should have Bruce Dickinson on my show. And he's, look, it's a big talk like, well, who's Bruce Dickinson? Those are, those are, no, no, right? I mean, it's incredible. But if you don't know, and just like Groucho Marx, Marx, Bruce Dickinson is one of the greatest performers that has ever lived. I mean, his band is one of the most successful rock bands that have, has ever taken a stage. It is, it is damn near impossible to have more success than Iron Maiden has. You know, 100 million plus, maybe 200 million episodes, a zillion albums, you know, and this guy's traveled the world and, and I'm going to have him on my show. Man, you know, come on. <laughs> That's always a nice little gift, right? A nice little pat on the back saying, okay, yeah. it, it's yeah. been very, very worth it. All right, so we have a portion of the show and it is called Shameless Self-Promotion. Shameless Self-Promotion. And this is where you can let everybody know where they can get in touch with you and uh, hear some of these great interviews. So if you're in the podcast business, you're like, hey, man, Pete's right. We need to get some of our IP out in a podcast form or whatever it is. We want to hire a real pro. I've I've produced damn near 2,000 episodes of podcasts, started dozens of them. And so here's what I'll tell you. Pete at BreakItDownShow.com. That's how you get a hold of me. And anybody can get a hold of me. That's fine. I'm pretty approachable. If you want to watch my show, the best thing to do is go to YouTube, type in PH or break it down show, and I will come up. You'll see it. And I do. And look, I'm supposed to do three shows a week. I have been doing eight to 10 with this Ukrainian nonsense, right? Wow. So you're always going to get multiple live shows unless I'm on vacation or, you know, on the road doing something. But, um, I, you know, I frequently do 30 shows a month live. So think about that. And, and that's what I do. So break it down show, go to YouTube and, and I would appreciate it. And, uh, boy, the best way to support the show is go to breakitdownshow.com and click on our PayPal link. You just invent your own subscription. I'm glad to uh, support whatever it is that you think you need for a couple of bucks. That's how we support the show. He's our guest. He is Pete Turner. He is the creator of the Break It Down podcast. And Pete, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is my pleasure, Jim. Thank you. We're on that internet thingy at sharepollution.com. That's right, that sound can only mean one thing, and it is time for Sherpa Samples. And this week, oh, this is where I'm going to get the 
hate mail and all the hate reviews, I was listening to a bunch of NPR podcasts. I listened to nine of them to sample, just for you to let you know what they're all about. Now, I know some people are already like, oh, he's listening to NPR. Oh, wait a minute. Should we say this correctly? He's listening to NPR. Welcome to NPR. (laughs) I don't know why they think everybody talks like that, but... Whatever. So let's talk about some of the shows that I've been checking out. And I guess the first thing to tell you about a lot of these NPR podcasts is that NPR has been around since the 70s. So a good 50 years, uh, largely in radio, national public radio. That's what NPR stands for. And of course, they've been getting into the podcast game for quite some time. And there are some really good podcasts that I really enjoyed. So if you don't have any political objections, and none of these are overly political Although I'm sure there are some politically themed podcasts. Why wouldn't there be? There are plenty of them out there. We're not denying that they exist, folks. It's not a conspiracy. I promise you. All right, so let's talk about some of the ones that I've listened to. I checked out Up First, which is their new show, and it's uh, about 15 minutes. Kind of talks about some of the day's events. And uh, pretty straightforward stuff. You know, it, it Again, uh, the episode that I listened to didn't really get too political or anything like that. It was just about what was going on in the world. Uh, Planet Money and The Indicator are two of their financially related shows. Planet Money was an interesting episode. There's the interesting word again, I know. It was about the Hormel strike in Minneapolis. And it was, and they took a really good approach in telling the story. I really respected the way that they approached it and uh, really made it interesting. And the indicator talked about interest rates and inflation and how interest rates affect inflation. And they really just break it down in a nice little mini podcast. I think it was only about 10 minutes long, but you felt that you really understood it once they were all done. It wasn't like, oh yeah, so this is what they're talking about. Definitely made it a lot clearer. Really liked that show. Through Line was actually an encore of an episode of a show called It's Been a Minute, and they did a thing about the history of Soul Train. Really liked it, very enjoyable. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is their quiz show, and it's kind of got imaginary prizes. And the show is essentially a current events quiz, and they make it a lot of fun. And it was really fun listening to it. Uh, Casey Musgraves was the celebrity guest for the episode that I listened to, and she did pretty well on it as well, too. And it keeps your brain sharp to see if you're really paying attention to the news and all the little things on there. Fresh Air is an interview show. I like that. They were speaking with Daniel Cumberbatch for his work in The the Way of the Dog. I think that's what it's called. (laughs) Anyway, he's he's Oscar-nominated for it. Maybe he'll have won it by the time you hear this episode. And one of the composers for the movie as well. All Songs Considered was probably one of my favorites. Uh, It was about the re-release of the Beatles' Let It Be box set, and they featured a lot of tracks, and they talked about the album, and I really hung on every second listening to all of this stuff. I'm a big Beatles fan, as if you didn't know. Maybe one day I'll do a Beatles podcast. Maybe. Maybe. An interesting thing about NPR is there aren't too many NPR celebrities but one of the most well-known on there is Guy Raz, and he does a show called How I Built This. And this is where he sits down with a lot of entrepreneurs. And the episode that I listened to was when he spoke to the creators of Boom Chicka Pop Pop. <laughs> was that the name of the popcorn? <laughs> it was a really great insight 
into how they started their business from very small beginnings to making it a really major phenomenon. Finally, I listened to the TED Radio Hour, and this is something that NPR does in conjunction with the TED people, and we got to talk about TED Talks one week. They're very popular if you've never heard one before. I got to do some sampling on that one, too. And it was a talk about cities and how they develop and everything like that. It was pretty cool, a very interesting, detailed stuff. So if you're listening to NPR, uh, very family-friendly, not too heavily celebrity-based or personality-based, rather. You know, the, the stories speak for themselves, and they are good stories. And again, they've been doing this for 50 years, so there's going to be a lot of professional polish on these shows to make it enjoyable for you and for your ears. So, even though you heard all that silly music in the beginning, that will do it for this edition of Sherpa Samples, so check them out. And if there are shows that you would like me to sample, you know what to do. You can either email me at jimthepodcastsherpa at gmail.com or message me on social media, Sherpolution, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You know I will respond to you, and I will give it a listen. And while I'm giving it a listen, why don't you give it a listen? And while we're all done listening, let's head to the outro! Thanks a lot for tuning in this week to Too Many Podcasts, and a very special thank you to our guest, Pete Turner, for coming on down and spending a little time. Be sure to check out his podcast, please, and don't forget this one. We're here every Wednesday with new episodes. And if you want to hear more shows like this, be sure to download your favorite podcast app, or if you don't have a favorite podcast app or you don't want one, you can go to my website, sherpolution.com. All of the episodes are there from the beginning you right about now and onward it's all there and there's all sorts of fun stuff you can do and lots of nice links to other things that you might want to purchase or check out or donate you know all sorts of crazy things like that go wild on sharepollution.com just don't hack it please not even buddy hack it no i don't know mr bruce i have been rambling on so long i think it is time to get on out of here folks again thanks so much and i will see you next time and viva the sure pollution. Thanks for listening to Too Many Podcasts. Please disperse. You can go home now. I said you can go home now. Viva la Chapolition. Viva la Chapolition. <coughs> oh. Yell, come back now, you hear? <laughs>